Hi everyone, I'm Margot Faraci. Welcome to Heart and Hustle, How to Thrive in a Crisis. In this podcast series, we're trying to help the community learn, normalise and thrive in these unprecedented times with lessons from leaders in a range of fields about their experiences and insights during coronavirus. Now, you're not going to believe who I've got here today. I'm talking with Sarah Wilson today. So many of you will be familiar with Sarah and her work. Sarah is a former journalist, TV presenter, author and activist. She wrote the New York Times bestseller, I Quit Sugar, and first, we make the beast beautiful. And she's author of another 11 cookbooks that sell in 52 countries. Previously, Sarah was editor of Cosmo Australia, host of MasterChef Australia, and founder of the largest wellness website in Australia, iquitsugar.com, which I believe now 80% of the income from which goes to charity. She does a lot of building and enabling charity projects and campaigns on mental health. She lives minimally, rides a hand-built bike, and is known for traveling the world for eight years with one bag. We're going to talk about her latest book called This One Wild and Precious Life today. It's a journey through the complexities of climate change, coronavirus, and lots of other things, mostly a disconnection from what matters and bringing us back to life. Sarah, thank you for joining us today. How is your heart today? Thank you. You've clearly read my book, Margot. I'm so lucky (laughs) that I have researched. My heart in this moment is enlivened, actually. I have reached this stage and the book that you've just mentioned has taken me to this place, but I also think the state of the world and what the world is asking of us has taken to me a place of actually just feeling really quite fired up. Like many of you listening, I've got fear and there's a whole lot of uncertainty that swells around. And like you, I'm an A-type, I grip (laughs) at certainty, you know, (laughs) I'm on answers. And I've been struggling, but I think what's happened is there's so much is what it isness going on, um, which sounds a bit woo-woo, but life is as real as it gets for so many of us. And it's actually forced me to get real. So my heart feels pretty true, actually. Yeah. What a clear feeling to have. Sarah, we're overwhelmed. And you started writing this book about the overwhelm that Mm. we all feel. And that was some time ago. And then this gift, in inverted commas, we have mm-hmm. to find the gift yes. of coronavirus hit us. And then we're about to publish the book and then this happened. Yeah. And actually it was everything you've been talking about and mm. the answers actually are all in the book. And so can you tell us a bit about the overwhelm and also how you think the lessons from the book, how we might thrive yeah. in this crisis? It's really interesting because I wrote the book and it was meant to come out actually almost six months ago. This project has just gone on and on. And it's almost, it's got kind of super meta, you know, like (laughs) it's become a metaphor for everything else that's going on. It's like, you know, the world stopped because coronavirus and so did my book. And and then I had to kind of pivot and don't be just that that word. word. It used to be something we did in netball. Yeah. Now it's something we're all doing in our businesses. Apparently, when we don't know what else to do. Rather than spin in a centrifugal force, we pivot. We pivot. So I had to sort of go back and and really think things through. And as you say, what I realised was a lot of the prescription for overcoming the overwhelm around what the book was about, which was climate crisis, but also political fragmentation, inequality, but a sense that we were disconnected from the values, from what mattered to us in life. I describe it as an itch, yeah. an itch that just something's not right. 
we're off track and so we go and shop and we consume and we scroll through our phone to deal with the overwhelm. So yeah, the book became very much the journey I had to go through to arrive at a really sure place. The overwhelm you speak of is completely understandable and I think people feel that somehow they shouldn't be overwhelmed, that somehow they've got to find an answer in all of this and that there's going to be some person that can tell them, ah, this is what's going to happen, this is what we need to be doing. And the world has got so many black swans and and hyper objects, which is another sort of economic term to describe the complexities that are too big for the human mind to deal with. So the issues have got bigger, but at the same time, the neoliberal system that we've been in has put us in a position where we just don't have the skills, the framework or the leadership to provide us with a a moral compass, a way of coping with all these moral dilemmas and overwhelm and, you know, all the bigness that's going on. And we used to have a community leader, we used to have churches, we used to have all kinds of moral guardrails, even knitting clubs or whatever else we did. We had forums to nut through this stuff and we had leaders who would show us it, and I call them moral umpires. Yeah. And so we are now on the footy field of life, right, with no umpire. No one's blowing the whistle or issuing white cards. And a game is only fun and fair and right and worth watching when there are rules and there's umpires you know, adjudicating. So we don't have that anymore. And so what's happened is we've been left with this monumental task. And it's because neoliberalism, the capitalist system, they got rid of all these things. They went, you don't need it. We just need to be free to go off and earn our money. And that was all fine for a while, but then life got complicated and that system no longer serves us. And I think a lot of people listening find that hard to deal with. And I did at first, but I think there's also a side that goes, yeah, I kind of can see it might've gone a bit too far. So, Sarah, you've just mentioned neoliberalism. What? (laughs) Well, I actually have a very long, detailed chapter that makes it kind of sexy in the book. So I'll leave you to go and check out the book um, to get your head around that one. But essentially, it's just the system that we're in, which is about the market system. And it works super well in many ways, but we also have a side to human nature that's community-based. Yes, that's right. That wants to be fair. And we've always had these checks and balances, right? Mm sort of moral rules Mm. so that we know where to head because we have moral challenges Mm. all around us in business, with our family Mm. and with the world as it is today. Those moral challenges are even bigger, but nobody's helping us solve them. And so we're feeling overwhelmed because we feel we've got to solve them. I think that's exactly right and I think that will resonate for so many people listening. You've got a lot of ways to solve this in your book, which is, is just such a great work. You've talked in the book about being comfortable not knowing. And I want to ask you about that, Sarah, because, (laughs) you know, as business owners, as business leaders, we are expected to know and most of that expectation comes from ourselves. And so business owner, you know, revenue gets turned off overnight. You've got to close up. I'm going to open up again now. I'm in lockdown again. What the actual? Tell us about being comfortable not knowing. It's kind of mandatory. It's kind of (laughs) non-negotiable. And if you can see it in that framework, then you can start to go, all right, what am I going to do to get cool? with not knowing. And it is a muscle that we have to build and we're going to have to build it more and more because I mentioned black swans. They're those economic sort of unknowns Mm. that we can't predict. COVID being 
the yeah. most recent example. So we do need to. And so let's not kind of whirl around in should life be this certain, blah, blah, blah. Let's just get on with being cool with it. Yeah. So I have a bunch of techniques in there and I won't go through all of them, but there's some sort of stuff that you can just really simple little exercises with just kind of coming to terms with how unknown things are, yeah. you know. But one thing that I often like to sort of remind people about is that we also live in a culture and I think one of the best things that you can do is actually start to learn why we feel so uncomfortable with things. So, for instance, in the case of not knowing, we feel uncomfortable because we are a generation who've grown up with Google to go and find answers. Mm. We don't even have to know how long it's going to take for our pizza mm. to arrive because we can follow a little dot on the map, the Uber Eats map, you know, and it's like, oh, it's 30 seconds away. You are roughly the same age as me, Margot. We won't disclose exactly how old that is, but we remember when there was no way to check if someone was going to meet you. You just turned up and waited, right? Yeah, Yeah. remember you'd arranged to meet a friend (laughs) on the second Tuesday of your school holidays under the clock at the bus interchange? You had to be there. there or not, yeah. You had to be there and you didn't know and life was risky. And this is something I've spoken about in a number of forums, including the National Press Club Mm. at the end of last year, is that kids are actually being cocooned from this unknowing, Mm. this uncertainty. And so parents go overboard to try to make them feel safe Mm. and provide them with answers and and we had a, the opposite experience growing up. What that's doing, this phrase, I think resonates for a lot of people, and it also applies to business owners, all of us, mm. is that what it does is it shelters you or cocoons you from everything except real life. Mm. Real life is uncertain. It's unfair. It's about delaying gratification. It's about not getting what you want. Mm. It's about you know a whole range of things. So, yeah, I try to normalise that stuff Mm. so that, A, you can go, okay, life is actually meant to be Mm. uncertain, and then I show some techniques for building that muscle so that you are prepared. Certainty has always been a delusion. It's just that we've actually realised it now, I think, is the... That's what COVID's done. That's a big revealer. Yeah, it has, exactly. Mm -hmm. You also talk about showing up to your appointment and... For the leaders and business owners listening, for people who are leading themselves rather than being at the top of an organisational chart, what does that mean for us to be showing up to our appointment? It's a great one for all of us who are A-types who respond to a call to action. You know, I I won't do things if it's going to make me feel better necessarily, but I do it because it's a a duty, you know, Mm -hmm. and anyone who's in business and has succeeded to a certain extent will probably have that trait in them. So it comes from a James Hollis. It's incredible. He's in his 80s. He's a legend of a psychotherapist based over in the US. And he has this phrase called, he says, our souls call us to an appointment with life. Mm -hmm. So when when we're feeling that itch, that disconnect, we often feel really uncomfortable. It's the thing that keeps us awake in the middle of the night. It's the thing that goes, what is worrying me? And everything feels wrong and itchy, as I say. It's generally our soul's proddiness to turn up to life. You know, he he talks about it. He's a psychoanalyst and he talks in Jungian dream stuff, you know. But he'll say you'll have dreams or things will happen or you'll get an illness. And that's a big thing I think at the moment is people will often have to get an illness to go, right, I'm on the wrong track. And that's certainly been my life story. Yes. Um, I didn't get the lesson. I didn't hear my appointment, you know, sort of meeting requests coming to my <laughs> into my inbox until I got slapped with a, a pretty debilitating disease a number of years ago. I think 
that we all are being called to an appointment with life. Mm -hmm. We have been veering from life. We've been working to all these formulas and rules and ideas of how things should work and checklists, Mm -hmm. right? And we get through our day and we're so busy. We forget to connect with actually what matters. Why are we circling this mortal coil? Why are we on this planet? It's not to tick off things on a list. It's to live. Yeah. And anyone in business who's trying to create things that are going to be making the world better, we've got to be reminded of that. We've got to keep going to our appointment with life. And so, again, I have a few techniques in the book that help people listen to that warning and heed it and then turn up, you know. And I list a bunch of philosophers and artists and writers, many of whom people listening would have heard of, they're very mainstream, who refer to this as how they actually get their work done. And the phrase that comes up is show up. Yeah. Show up, show up, show up. Do the work, do the work, do the work. And then things unfurl. Be engaged. And I use this phrase a lot, as you know, Margot, throughout the book is action begets action. So if you're wondering where to start to improve the world, and I think that's what we're all wanting to do. We're yeah. all here for that reason, really. Yeah. Start where you are, which is another phrase I yes, use in the it book. Is. Yes, it is. Start where you are and action begets action. Show up and things will start to unfold. And whatever that is that it means for you. You also say you don't have to understand everything or you don't have, there's no one answer that fixes it in all. Fact, quite the it's opposite. Just, it's just whatever you're doing today. Just if, show up. If you are a nurse struggling, if you're a single parent that is your place to start. If you have a business, you know, that's struggling at the moment, that is your place to start. You'll find the solution right there under your nose. You've just got to, you've just got to be aware show of up, it. Show up, show up. That's right. And be life. comfortable not knowing, right? And be comfortable not knowing, one exactly. Of the, one of the best passages in the book is where you go on your hike in Crete. Now, mm. for those listening along, none of us can, um, well, not many of us can travel overseas at the minute. We're all yearning for that. But the great thing about Sarah's book is she takes us on her hikes yes. all around the world. So you feel like you're traveling. I tell this kind it's of complex story and I discuss, as I say, neoliberalism yeah. and things like that while hiking. So you feel so like, like you're traveling. Kind of I felt yeah. like I was traveling on the weekend when I was reading yeah. it. And you're in Crete and you're talking about how you love the Greek heroes and you say, quote, all Greek myths are told by some big Greek character stuffing something up and being weakened by a force truer than themselves. Now, that might actually be helping all of us right now. So we all actually might be in our Greek myth, our own Greek yeah, myth now. And maybe we, hero's journey. Are, maybe we are doing a hero's journey. But certainly um, with what I've read from your book, as usual, Sarah, you've shone a light on it and shown me a way to navigate through it. Now, how can, if people are really interested, Sarah, how can they get hold of a book? It's available for pre-order. It comes out August 30 okay. in Australia and then in December in, in the US. And sarahwilson.com, you can pre-order from there and all various book sites. Okay. All right, yeah, great. Absolutely. Well, Sarah, as always, globally leading thought. Great <laughs> conversation. We could go on and on. We might have to do a version two. Thanks, everyone, for listening to Heart & Hustle. Thank you, Sarah. My pleasure and good luck, everyone. Thanks for listening to Heart & Hustle. You can like and subscribe to us wherever you listen to your podcasts. And look forward to talking to you in the next episode.